Welcome into Lockdown Blackhawks for Wednesday, February 12th, 2020. My name is Jay Zawoski. Lockdown Blackhawks is part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Your team every day and your team, the Chicago Blackhawks, just lost their fourth straight game. They've got two points in those last four games with two of those losses coming in overtime. But man, another disappointing start to a huge game with a huge opportunity for the Blackhawks to climb in the standings and get back in that wild card race. Instead, they leave two points behind and uh, lose 5-3 to the Edmonton Oilers in Edmonton. We're going to get to all of it. Of course, we'll go over the pluses and minuses, look inside the numbers a little bit. There's a bunch to get to on this podcast, so stick with it. We'll be with you here until uh, everything's covered. But first, I want to tell you how to get in touch with the podcast Voicemail 708-653-0572. Email LockdownBlackhawks at gmail.com. Twitter at LO underscore Blackhawks. You can follow my personal account at jzawoski670. And, of course, the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast at Madhouse Pod. So Hawks lose 5-3 in Edmonton. A late empty net goal gives the Oilers that fifth goal. They played this game without Connor McDavid and... One of the more frustrating performances of the year. Uh, I'm going to say this after pretty much every game from here on out. This is the biggest game of the year. This was the biggest game of the year up to this point. And how did the Hawks begin the game? Come out flat. The first shift of the game, they are absolutely outworked and out hustled. And a minute 13 into the game, the Blackhawks are down one nothing, And it's inexcusable. And yeah, Brandon Saad tied the game, you know, four minutes later, four and a half minutes later, and that's fine and good. But guess what? In the third period, when you're trying to get the game tied, 4-4, working your ass off, out shooting the Oilers 18-5 in the third period. Maybe just maybe, not coming out sleepwalking for the first minute, minute and a half of the game might have been a good idea. You knew the Edmonton Oilers were going to come out flying with the news that Connor McDavid, the best player on the planet, is out for the next two or three weeks. You know that they were not going to let that news deflate them. The Oilers are a team that seem to be aware that they're in a playoff race, that they're in a race to win the Pacific Division. The Blackhawks haven't really caught on to that, it seems. And as it stands right now, all the games from Tuesday night or final, when I'm recording this, the Blackhawks right now have 58 points. They are now six points out of a playoff spot. It's bad. It's bad. It's two, you know, two regulation losses in a row and games they needed to win and games they probably should have won, could have won. And this team does not know how to win. It proved out last year when they started making some noise and getting back in the race. As soon as they would get close, as soon as they would get close to sniffing a playoff spot, right, they'd fall apart. It's the same thing that's happened this year. They've had, they've been there within a point, within two points, within three points of a playoff spot. Then all of a sudden, the team falls apart. And look, I'm not going to pretend that Jeremy Cowan hasn't done a better job lately. 
But at some point, you've got to you got to ask yourself: Does this guy know how to get this team ready to play? Because in their biggest moments, it's when the Hawks come out the most flat and look not ready to play. How? 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 After the way the games have gone over the last week now, a week ago Tuesday was the overtime loss to the Minnesota Wild. How is it possible that this team on this night comes out this flat? It's almost inexplicable. And 100% of that first shift was effort and enthusiasm and trying. The Oilers were all over the Hawks. We're just flailing away, you know, poking away at the skaters. The Oilers were digging in, skating hard. They were ready to go from the moment the puck dropped. And the Hawks got there at a couple points during the game. They matched the level of intensity that Edmonton was playing with. But Edmonton knows every point matters. They know it. And they're playing like it. And I talked about this with the Arizona game and the Minnesota game and the Boston game that the Hawks came out timid and scared to lose. Well, guess what? That point you gave Arizona on February 1st, the point you gave Minnesota on February 4th, because of your timid nature to start the game, now those extra points are going to cost you. And now you're six points out of a playoff spot when just earlier this week we were talking about the Hawks possibly sneaking into a spot by the end of this week instead you're giving the teams you're chasing more points and you're walking away with nothing and I don't want to hear about talent it's not an issue of talent it's not Edmonton has two or three really good players they talked about it in the broadcast Ken Holland, the GM, says our strategy is wait till the good players are out there again and just try to survive. That's their strategy. That's what they did in the third period. Get the puck, ice it, until Leon Dreisaitl's line is ready to go back on the ice. By the way, Leon Dreisaitl, four points in this game. He has 32 goals and 57 assists. He is the NHL's leading scorer. There is so much more to get to in this game, so I'm going to take our first time out and before we we're not going to do pluses and minuses right away um but there's a bunch of other stuff i want to go over before we get to that so first want to tell you that this spring you need to follow your favorite baseball teams cubs white Sox, to arizona for cactus league spring training amazing weather amazing landscapes exciting outdoor adventure incredible food arizona is the perfect home base for baseball fans Follow your favorite baseball teams to Arizona, meet the players, and get autographs before games. Explore museums featuring everything from native heritage to modern art to musical instruments from around the world. Arizona is known for its incredible landscapes and thrilling outdoor adventure. Arizona has tons of stuff for kids to do and see, like wildlife parks, science museums, aquariums, and my favorite, dude ranches. Plan your spring training getaway at visitarizona.com slash springtraining. That's visit arizona.com slash spring training. And if you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans, but you may not know that Locked On Blackhawks is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Blackhawks fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners, not just any podcast listener 
a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Hawks fans and a predominantly male audience that's well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash advertising. It's Lockdown Blackhawks, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Hawks lose 5-3 in Edmonton to the Oilers. I spent the first segment kind of mini ranting. Uh, There's a couple things I want to get to, a couple observations I made in this game. First and foremost, Dylan Strom, a healthy scratch. And Jeremy Cowton on Tuesday said it was purely performance-based. I reached out to uh, my best source in the organization, and I'm told that he is not part of any trade discussions. It's not a name that's been bantied about in trade rumors or anything like that um, as it comes to the internal discussions of the Blackhawks. So I wouldn't suspect he's they're holding him out of lineups to be traded by any means. Um, but Alex Nylander comes back into their lineup and uh, promptly gets a one-on-one opportunity with the goaltender, staring him eye-to-eye and passes the puck behind the net uh, to no one, and nothing comes of it. Um, 7.55 of ice time, two shots on goal. That's what you scratched Dylan Strom to get. And if you're trying to send Dylan Strom a message, whatever. I think Dylan Strom is a guy who has come back from a tough injury to come back from and is playing probably not at 100%, so to hold him out as some sort of message to me is a little bit ridiculous when there's a lot of other candidates um, that could have been scratched. Here's the other thing. couple little news and notes before we get to pluses and minuses. I will admit there were several complete BS calls on the Blackhawks for the third game in a row. They scored a shorthanded goal, which is great, but the Edmonton Oilers are the league's best power play. And there is no way taking as many penalties as they did that they were going to hold the Oilers off the board all night. Two power play goals for the Oilers. Their power play and penalty kill. They've got the top power play and a top 10 penalty kill. That is the reason the Edmonton Oilers are in a playoff spot right now. I've said all year long that having good special teams are the difference between a good team and a great team or an average team and a good team. That's that's the thing that can make you better than you are. The Hawks have a really good penalty kill. Their power play is absolutely putrid. Putrid. It was horrible last night. And here's what the Oilers do. It's really complicated. So if you want to grab a whiteboard and a dry erase marker, I'm going to let you know what the Oilers do that makes their power play so effective. You ready? I'll give you a few seconds. Okay, you ready? They shoot the damn puck. They put the puck on net. Even Leon Dreisaitl, the league's leading scorer, is just shooting the puck at the goalie 
at his pads, hoping for a rebound. That's how power play goals are scored in this league. That's how you do it. It's not complicated. It hasn't been complicated. You're not going to score highlight real goals on the power play. Think back to Sunday's game against the Jets. That goal that Blake Wheeler scored where he was streaking down the line and shot at short side and Corey Crawford, that was a power play goal. How often do you see power play goals like that? That is rare that there's a guy in stride scoring a power play goal. Shots from the point, shots in close, rebound goals, that's how power plays work. And if you don't attempt shots on goal when you have the man advantage, or if you can't even get the damn puck from the opponent, that's not a way you're going to succeed on the power play. It is so simple. And part of me is like, you know, I saw Zach Smith on the power play day, like, what is he doing out there? You know what? Zach Smith's a guy that keeps it simple. Maybe that should be the power play unit for now. Put some guys out there that are going to keep it simple. Win a board battle, get the puck out in front, and get it on net. You don't need a lot of skill to do that. If you have skilled guys that are willing to do that, great. But aside from Jonathan Taves and Brandon Saad, you got a lot of perimeter players. By the way, where the hell is Alex Dabrinkit? Six million bucks next season for Alex Dabrinkit. This is a guy who early this year we talked about as a as a 50-goal scorer without the least bit of sarcasm or exaggeration. Minus two, four shots on goal. He's been a total phantom this entire season. And yeah, he's had some bad luck. And that's legit. It happens to people sometimes. You get bad puck luck or whatever you want to call it. And he has been dealing with that. But he hasn't looked like a game changer, has he? Here's the other thing. My dad was texting me during the game. My dad is a feeling much better, by the way. For those that have asked, I appreciate that. Um, he's doing really well. but And I know he's doing well because he's texting me angry things about the Blackhawks. And I told him. He's like, where's the defense? I said, Dad, if Robin Leonard and Corey Crawford are not playing all-star level goalie every night, this team doesn't have a chance. Robin Leonard wasn't bad last night against the Oilers. But he wasn't his typical self, and they couldn't win. They need a goalie win to get two points almost every game, it seems, doesn't it? There's got to be some stat head better than me, because I'm really not. I'm, I just kind of struggle to hang with it, because math, math are hard. Um, <laughs> it's just, there's got to be a way to sort of say, like, if the Hawks had replacement-level goaltending, what would their record be? I bet it would make you cringe. One more thing I want to get to. Hawks have an empty net. It's late in the game. There's 12 seconds left, whatever it is. Puck comes to Eric Gustafson at center ice. He's bent over at the waist, not skating, not moving his feet, no interest in advancing the puck. Drysaddle gets the puck, shoots it in the empty net. Hawks lose. Now, look, I know the odds of the Blackhawks winning the game at that point were very, very small. But guess what? Like, try? Like, just give it 12 more seconds. Just 12 more. That's all you needed to do. 12 more seconds. I don't think that's too much to ask. 
This is just such an aggravating loss. And I said on yesterday's podcast, they need to take six of the next eight points available. They lost the first two. So if they can win tonight against Vancouver, Saturday against Calgary, and Sunday against Winnipeg, I'll feel good about things again. Because then you've got the Rangers and the Predators, then the Stars a day before the trade deadline. But man, four points, two points, zero points on this trip, that could be fatal to the playoff hopes of this team. It's Lockdown Blackhawks, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Once again, the Blackhawks lose 5-3 to the Edmonton Oilers. In Edmonton, Leon Dreisettle adding a late empty net goal. Let's go over the pluses and minuses as we do after every Hawks game, starting with the pluses. My first plus of the game is going to go to Jonathan Taves. Shorthanded goal. He was a minus one. Four shots on goal. He won 60% of his face-offs, that is a dude who is giving everything he's got all the time. And it's not really questionable at this point. Jonathan Taves has had a much better season. I think if you look at what, I think he has, what, 46 points in 58 games or something like that. He's He's got more points than you think he does. And he's been especially good lately. 21-26 of ice time last night. Really like Taves' game. You could see that's a guy out there. Uh, given everything he's got for this team to try to make something of the season. Next plus for me, Connor Murphy. He had an assist, plus one, 21.53 of ice time, five shots on goal, two hits, two block shots. Aside from Patrick Kane, who had six shots on goal, Connor Murphy led the team. That His five shots on goal led the team. So an impressive performance from him. Again, made some really solid defensive plays. And speaking of that, I want to give another plus to Adam Boquist. 19-15 of ice time. He had a goal on a sweet assist from Patrick Kane. Kane had two assists on the night. And what I loved about that goal is Adam Boquist probably experiencing the first two-on-one he's had with Patrick Kane and realizing, oh, my God, the puck is on my stick. How did that happen? Puts the puck behind Mike Smith, who needs new straps on his helmet. And just the look on Boquist's face after that goal was, oh, my God, that was amazing. How did that happen? How did you get that puck to me? Yep, Patrick Kane will do that once or twice a night. Uh, He did it twice last night against the Oilers. Two assists plus one, six shots on goal, like I said. I'm still seeing a bit of that passiveness from Patrick Kane, but, you know, the fact that he's being double-shifted for the most part, 23-10, of ice time that led the team in ice time, not just the forwards, the entire team. 23-10 of ice time. A lot of that is the fact that the Hawks are down late in the third period, but regardless, um, you could see why he maybe will is willing to preserve his energy uh now and again when it's needed. Brandon Sod with a two-point night, three shots on goal. Um, those are my pluses for the game. Now let's get to the minuses. <laughs> First minus for me is going to go to Jeremy Cowden. This team was not ready to play. They came out the first minute of the game and got scored on and got dominated on the first shift. Look, I said it earlier, the Oilers were not going to roll over because Connor McDavid is out of the lineup. But you know what? If the Hawks came out with the intensity the Oilers did and maybe scored a goal quick, 
maybe that could have a demoralizing effect on a team that just lost the best player on the planet. Instead, the Hawks give them a very easy first minute. Hey, sorry, guys. Really sorry that Connor McDavid's hurt. Why don't you, we'll take it easy this first shift just so you feel good. We'll, we'll spot you a lead. And then fight the entire game, to tie the, the entire third period to get that fourth goal, which they couldn't get. Really frustrating. It's got to fall on somebody. Uh, yeah, it falls on a lot of the players, but it also falls on Jeremy Cowden. The team has not been ready over the last, what, three, four games to start the game in the most crucial time of the season. This, compared to what happened last year where the Hawks had a lot of trouble in the big games when they had a chance to get back in the playoff race, uh, Jeremy Cowton is having trouble winning the big game. He gets my first minus of the game. My second minus goes to Alex Nylander, who Jeremy Cowton just couldn't wait to put back in the lineup. 7.55 of ice time, two shots on goal, a total non-factor. The one time I noticed him, like I mentioned earlier, he had a one-on-one with Mike Smith and opted to put the puck behind the net to no one. So, good stuff. Good stuff from Alex Nylander. Boy, that trade looks better by the day, doesn't it? Oh, my Lord. Oof. Very, very frustrating. I got to give a minus in this game, too, to Robin Leonard, who was a little bit all over the place in the first period, not freezing pucks when he had the opportunity to. Um, that th- that goal that was loose in front of him, the Yakamoto, th- I'm sorry, the Yamamoto goal that was loose under his pad, he just sort of, I don't know, stopped playing the puck a little bit on that one. Uh, some weird puck antics with Robin Leonard last night. Um, look, he's been, aside from Patrick Kane, the team's MVP, so I'm not going to go too hard on him. But the last few games for Robin Leonard have not been typical Robin Leonard performances. Let's hope he uh, can work out of that. And he seems to be like a, a guy to me who gets better the more he plays. And for whatever reason, Cowton has been leaning on Corey Crawford more since the uh, bye week all-star break thing that the Blackhawks had. I don't know what the reason for that is, but I'd like to see uh, Leonard get some consecutive starts here and get back in the groove of where he was earlier in the season. couple things I want to mention, too, before I wrap up the podcast. If you missed it last night, Jay Bomeister, the St. Louis Blues defenseman, left the game after collapsing on the bench. I, you were able to watch his last shift that he took in the game. Nothing happened. There was no physical, no hits, nothing like that. But Bo Meester goes to the bench, collapses on the bench. This is in Anaheim. And they bring a stretcher on the ice. He's unconscious on the bench. The Ducks and Blues agree to postpone the game. Um, reports are that Bo Meester, as he headed to the hospital, was conscious and alert. Um, as of now, it's 11.06 p.m., on Tuesday night, there's no update on Bo Meester's status, uh, but a very, very scary situation. Um, so send some good vibes Jay Bo Meester's way. Just a really eerie, eerie situation. You never like to see that, especially a guy, Bo Meester, just, he's the Iron Man with 700-something consecutive games. Oof, that was really, really tough to watch on the bench. And segueing awkwardly, uh, which I'm going to do right now from a, near tragedy in hockey to a video game. Um, last week, there was a meme going around that said, you know, reply to this tweet with a video game reference that will show your age. And I said, two fats, a medium, and a skinny, referring to the Nintendo Entertainment System ice hockey game. 
Well, Tuesday, I discovered a game called Super Blood Hockey. It's on PlayStation 4. I know it's on the Switch and the Xbox, probably some other places as well. And it's basically a souped-up port of ice hockey with a ton of blood, like cartoon pixelated blood added in. If you win a fight in the game, the guy who loses is like literally just bleeding out on the ice while you're playing. And then there's a franchise mode where you have to train your guys to fight. You can give them steroids. You can buy them drugs. It's ridiculous, but it's a lot of fun. Super blood hockey. Check it out. It's a lot of fun. By the way, I have Twitter open right now. Trending in Illinois, Colleton. <laughs> Never a good thing after a tough loss that the head coach of the Blackhawks is trending. Boy, oh boy. Here's a quote from Jeremy Cowan himself after the game. We are in the race, but we have to find a way to raise our level just like all the other teams are. Correct. I've been saying that for 20 minutes. Thanks, Jeremy. Maybe you could be a guest on the podcast someday. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of Locked On Blackhawks. We will be back on Thursday with a full wrap-up of the game in Vancouver. Tonight, 9.30 p.m. start, another late night for me but no big deal. I'm happy to do it. Uh, so we'll talk to you on Thursday morning here on Lockdown Blackhawks, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day.